KFM Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, good morning and welcome to Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we always talk about the latest happenings in the tech world. And there's one highly exciting happening going on right now. In fact, Vodaworld in Madrand is shut down because of a demand by a certain gentleman to be paid for please call me's. And there is a huge amount of misinformation, disinformation, uh, fear, uncertainty and doubt being spread in the market about that. But just to clear the air, in my opinion and the opinion of many commentators out there, this please call me court case by Mr. Makate against uh, Nkosana Makate to be precise against MTA uh, against Vodacom is the biggest con job in the history of corporate South Africa. Obviously, big corporates are an easy target in some respects. Makati worked for uh, the, the the facts are fairly simple and fairly irrefutable. That doesn't change the madness and the nonsense that's happening on the ground right now. But a quick recap. He worked for MT, for Vodacom. I keep saying MTN, but you'll understand why in a second. He works for Vodacom. He worked for Vodacom back in 2000. And he sent an email to his boss to say he's come up with a great idea and, um, explained what it was. And they said they would, and, and asked for some compensation. And he, and his boss agreed and said, if this idea comes off and it works out and it makes some money, we can discuss compensation. And what happened many years later, Mr. McCarty decided he is going to sue Vodacom because they were making billions out of this please call me idea, which is simply the ability to send a no-cost message to someone else to please call me, um, which is brilliant, especially in the prepaid world. It's an absolutely brilliant idea. And he went to court along with a massive consortium of very smart lawyers and whoever else is involved in this whole thing because they saw the opportunity for making huge money out of this. And this got went on and on and on and on for years until it finally got to the Constitutional Court. And the Constitutional Court said, Mr. McCarty and Vodacom must sit down and come up with a reasonable number that would settle this matter because a promise was made that if the idea took off, um, he would get some, some form of compensation for this whole idea. And that was the gist of the whole court case. There was no uh, confirmation that he in any way invented the please call me idea He or, or system. He simply had an idea. And I'll tell you where this gets really, really interesting. So this consortium of lawyers with Mr. McCarty as the front man have successfully mugged a major corporate. They've successfully convinced a court that a contract was formed because an idea was given to a boss, the boss had the authority to contract, and however the technicalities, the lawyers will will figure this out for you or explain it to you. I'm not a lawyer, I'm a dumb accountant, so I only know the numbers. The bottom line is they, they got to the point where they managed to extort, and this is simple extortion, they managed to extort a substantial sum of money. We don't know what it is because Vodacom are not saying, and neither is he. And now he won't accept it, and now it's become a political hot potato with our politicians wrongly getting involved in all this nonsense um, and and making big statements and all sorts of of um, you know comments about it. And actually, they've interrupted the operation of a major corporation for a day, which is going to cost hundreds of millions of rands, and it's just 
something that I believe in a, in a rational, modern society should not happen. It cannot happen. Yes, they contracted. Yes, it's going to cost them big bucks. But to take it to this level, just because he's the little man who who was wronged by the big, ugly, evil corporation, is is not cool. And it sets a precedent where where you know politics can simply ruin a business because. They feel like it with no reference to the facts, no reference to the reality. Here is the kicker in the whole thing. The Please Call Me service was created by a gentleman by the name of Ari Khan. And Ari Khan along worked, was working for MTN back in, um, oh, between 1994 and 2002. And around about 2000, he invented the idea for a service that would allow someone without cellular airtime to send a text message to another seller cell phone user requesting a callback and that service has explosive explosive growth over the years and to prove that this was true he went to Spur and Fisher right here in South Africa registered a patent on the system they've got proper documentation proper registration and the minute they got the registration through the next day MTN launched the uh, system and two weeks later Photocom launched the system, and apparently there were huge, huge internal discussions between Vodacom and MTN regarding the whole system. And MTN, for whatever reason, decided that it was good for the entire country. It was good for all mobile networks and allowed all mobile networks to use their patented system to do it. So it is not impossible that Mr. McCarty thought of this idea completely independent of what MTN were doing. Maybe it just happens, it often happens that way in the world, the synchronicity of ideas. But he didn't invent it. Um, not at all. And Mr. Khan, who actually was an engineer and a technician who figured out how it would work and patented it right down to the last technical detail, didn't even want any money for this. He just wanted recognition that he was the inventor of the please call me, not some some accounting fellow. Mr. McCarty wasn't an engineer. I think he worked in the accounting department of Vodacom. And um, this is where we sit. We now sit in a, in, a, in a mad world where a guy who he did, he contracted with his boss with an idea that did eventually come to fruition and he's entitled to some money maybe. According to Mr. Ari Khan, he's not entitled to one cent. He wasn't the inventor. It wasn't his idea. And he had nothing to do with the creation of Please Call Me. Be that as it may, our courts in their wisdom have awarded him some money. He should take his money and go away. But for, for guys to create an entire system of, of disruption to shut Vodafone down, Vodacom down, it's just absolute lunacy. So let's see what what transpires. I believe that Vodafone, the the whole the owner of Vodacom South Africa cannot be mugged in this way, cannot be seen to play this game, and they essentially will take whatever pain needs to be taken and they're not going to back down on this matter at all, no matter how much political pressure or physical pressure uh, comes their way. So that in a nutshell is this madness of the whole please call me campaign invented by a gent, Ari Khan, in early 2000 at MTN, patented in the name of his employer, MTN, and then given by MTN to Vodacom and all the other networks. And everybody who sent a please call me can thank Ari Khan and not Mr. Makati for this because he did not invent anything. He simply came to a contract with his employer and wants money. Not cool 
at all. Anyway, enough of that, but just thought I'd clarify it. It's great dinner table conversation. And now you have all the facts to be able to talk smart about uh, the please call me debate. And it's also been a crazy week. In fact, the results of many American corporations have just started coming out. And obviously in the tech world, the tech stocks are not doing so well. There's been all manner of uh, havoc around them. And Apple have been in the news for all the wrong reasons in the last couple of days. One, they, earlier this month, they issued an advisory that they had missed their holiday sales by a large margin, around about $9 billion, which is the first time in the history of Apple that they didn't have a really good or better holiday quarter, which is the last three months of the year, because they always launch their new phone just before that or in that that period, and the holidays generally are the period that people buy these things. But their cell phones did not sell in the numbers that they expected. And commentators have gone nuts, and the share price has been affected, and everyone's saying it's over for Apple, and they're too expensive, and they're too this, and they're too that. The bottom line is we sit in a world where there are seven-odd billion people, maybe a little bit more, and there already are five billion phones in the market right now. So we've hit peak cell phone. The age of the cell phone has matured to the point where pretty much everyone in the world has got a cell phone that can have one. Some of us have a couple. Others have none. But generally, everyone has a cell phone, and a good chunk of those have smartphones. So the demand for cell phones has reached peak. Samsung announced their results a couple of weeks ago. Same story. LG announced their results today. They've also had a massive dip in their cell phone sales. In China, there's been a huge downturn in general, and all of this has impacted Apple. Does it mean that Apple's over? Probably not. Does it mean that the day of the smartphone is is coming to sort of peak and we're now looking at a stable period for the next couple of years? Absolutely there's no question that spending all this money on a brand new cell phone is not always the best thing. The one from last year, the year before, still works really well. And on that note, we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe. I had a really interesting chat with some people from Red Hat, which is an unusual name. And we'll be back straight after this. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back. And I had a fascinating conversation um, yesterday with a company called Red Hat. Now, Red Hat is the most unlikely um, name for a, a tech company. But Red Hat was started many, many years ago by a bunch of avid open source protagonists, people who believed absolutely and in a very sort of new age way, and you'll hear, you'll hear when the, where the conversation goes, that open source was the future of technology and certainly would play an unbelievable role um, in technology without all the proprietary software that the Microsofts and, and many others of this world had created. And this open source world where, where generally the code for any software product was open, was available on the Internet. Anyone could get it. Anyone could use it. Anyone could change it. Anyone could contribute towards it would be the future of technology. But now, obviously, if you're a big company, you're a bank, you're someone who, who really relies on their software, you can't have something that's not well-supported, not properly certified, not carefully put together in an open-source way, but in a way that um, – Makes sense for corporates, and that's exactly what Red Hat have done. They've recently been acquired by IBM, and um, the story around what they do, how they do it, underpins 
so much of the the new world of technology that we're working in. Book a ticket online, Red Hat's involved. Go to your bank, go to your insurance company, go to most major corporations in the world today, and somewhere in their systems is some piece of Red Hat software written by the community and uh, curated by Red Hat and supplied to major vendors across the world. So they're definitely backroom boys, but they've got a fascinating tale, and it's a positive tale in a world that in many ways just seems to be all profit-driven. Not that they don't make money, they do, but it's just the way they approach software, the way they approach technology, and the way they approach business is really fascinating. So I spoke to Dion Harvey, who's the country general manager for Red Hat, and Michael Isnard, who's from all the way from France, who's the VP of Red Hat for the EMEA region, and just interesting to hear what they have to say. So listen to this uh, interview, and I think you'll be quite surprised what goes on behind the scenes in the technology world. It's not all about shiny gadgets and iPhones. Is open, meaning open source is really bringing the necessary disruption into this market. to enable all of the players, the operators, the vendors, and so on, to, to, to take into account all of the technical innovation which is available. And we believe that this is in open source, that this is happening. And now, when I say that, being part of Red Hat, uh, as always, people say, of course. The DNA is open source. Yeah. But the reality is when you look at all of the recent technical innovations, they all come from us. From us, open source, not not necessarily Red Hat. Correct. And because we we specialized in making innovation available in enterprise class solutions, whether they are infrastructure or now moving into uh, NFV and all of these new things for the telco, we see a lot of uh, traction with other companies saying, yes, this is where open source. That's actually difference. very, very interesting because there's no question that all these proprietary solutions are finding it harder and harder to operate in this world where there's just too much interoperability between all the various elements exactly. of a business. Exactly. I mean, since not everyone, not there is not a single company able to do everything they did. Exactly. Exactly. Being open, being interoperable is a must. I mean, if, if not... The, the the major operators will not be able to deliver what they have to deliver. And if you come with a proprietary solution, I mean, what do you do? I mean, I also I, the big shift is away from hardware. Because it's exactly software. what I said. No, yeah. see, the, the, the age of the gadget, yeah. the shiny standalone thing is gone. I mean, if, you think, if you think in the mobile space, the age of the hardware device as the, as the network it's all going software well, fine. This yeah. thing, this thing's useless unless it does stuff. Yeah. Now, now, and maybe this is the mm. second fold of what we will be bringing to the uh, conversations, uh, main stage, or, or workshop sessions, is that we want to stay in the r- reality of what is possible, uh, rather than on the hype side. I mean. There is this show is there every year. Everyone is announcing something. Oh, yes. You know the the new revolution of the year. We have a more very customer centric approach where we say yes, a lot is possible moving forward, but what is now available is this. 
So we come with, uh, a, 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 I would say, strong assertiveness with regards to what is possible, but we come also with a very realistic approach on what is possible now. So in terms of solutions to challenges that these type of companies may have? So, so, so we will be talking, yes, we will be talking about 5G, of course. Uh, we will be talking about these very nearly zero latency, higher speeds and so on to match customers' expectations. So we will talk about that. We have, we have solutions, ideas, propositions for that. Uh, we will talk Can I about ask you a question about that? How different are your solutions to deal with that? I mean, there's, the whole 5G thing has been hyped beyond anybody's expectations. But we've got a current situation where certain parameters exist. And 5G brings massive bandwidth, much lower latency, and certainly the ability to connect to a lot more devices at any one time. How much has, will that change what you already offer? So is there a big shift, or is it more of the same? That's the... I'm just trying to understand the question with him. What I'm saying is you have a particular solution set now, mm-hmm. which, as you say, is a reality. It, it works with current technologies, and yeah. everything is, is, I wouldn't say stable, but it's certainly that's the environment you operate in. Yes. The new environment that's coming in terms of the evolution of, of telecommunications, which is all virtual, it's all commoditized, it's, it's all running on, on hardware that you can pick up anywhere. You know, it's not proprietary. Your solutions and your, your product sets that work within that environment, are they going to be very different for the 5G world or is it more a matter of just refining what you've got? So, so at Radat, we have always been working in steps. So it, it's, it will be an evolution of what we already have, in which we'll be taking into account things related to artificial intelligence, for instance, or edge computing, uh, edge services. So it's not going to be, this is what we have now, you can ignore, and this is something totally new. It will be an evolution, but taking into account some some pretty new things, like, again... Uh, okay. the, uh, the whole machine intelligence and machine learning, edge computing and things, and things like that. Things like that, yes. So scale changes everything in many ways. Um, yes, yes, yes. And also, you know, this is... This is um, the telco world is made a little bit of IT and a lot of network. Yes. This is in this part of our uh, value proposition where we think we can help really um, changing what, what's happening, at least with, with our technology. We come with a vision around software-defined everything. Everything, yeah. So well, everything, yeah. Network, I mean, okay. And, uh, and, and we come in steps again. Uh, we, we are... Uh, I try that what has always been important, I can't say that now for nearly seven years I've been in the company. Um, customer comes first. We, we are happy when the customer is telling us with what you delivered, I can do my job faster or cheaper or better or, better or safer, maybe all of this. The, when we get this, then we are very happy. I was, I was with a customer just before this meeting who has uh, displaced the competitor to adopt our virtualization solution. 
it's now in operations. And I said, what, what did you measure the return on investment? Because you had some assumptions before you made the, 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 the purchase, then you purchased, now you are operating it. And the guy said, well, what we paid before, we pay now 10 times less, 10 times yeah, less. Nothing to so, ignore. So I said, wow, that's big. He said, and, so customer speaking, not me, and the price that we pay on an annual basis for the maintenance of that we paid for the former solution was more expensive than the renewal of the subscription with Red Hat. So not only the acquisition is 10 times cheaper, but the running cost is also less. So I said, wow, I mean, th that's a fantastic use case. And then I said, but so do you find the same functionalities? Yes, well, yes same <laughs> functionalities. So I, so I was very happy with this because, makes sense. because the customer is telling me so I real can value. do exactly and I can do my job in a, in, a, in a much better way because the money I save here, I can put it on some other things and so on and so forth. And the discussion today seems to have moved a long way away from the safety and security of open source. Does that come up? No, no not anymore. Honestly, you don't hear about it. You don't read about it. It's not. No, it doesn't seem to be a major issue at one point. Let me maybe give you um, a different answer. I don't see it very much. Actually, I do not see it anymore. But because the customers which were really concerned about this, they have made their decision uh, with regards to data confidentiality, with regards to on-premise or, or public or whatever, and therefore they know how to handle it. So the question is not raised anymore. That's, and, very, that's a very interesting point. And so, yeah, once upon a time the customers are, were asking us, so what do you recommend? Now they know. And um, I see also more and more customers um, having a, how do you say that in English, a, re a relative, uh, uh, the way they look at the risks is different. Again, not that long ago, going for some customers, going to the public cloud was never. Okay, this is... We must have a control on our data. Now, what they see is that because of what's happening within their own competition, agility is the keyword. And therefore, they have potentially measured what is really a risky or a risk they want to take and what is a risk they don't want to take. And this is why we see now such an acceleration also with the public cloud providers, because again, customers know exactly where they put the, 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 the needle between risky, not risky. So. We, we talk to customers who have, I think, more and more made their mind about what they want to do with infrastructure. And then, and then they look for the best solution. And then they look for the best solution. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And more and more we are seeing, even in South Africa, uh, which, you know, despite what people say about us being a laggard country, isn't always the case, but in South Africa we're seeing enterprise customers, a lot of our enterprise customers, making the statement that they, they see open source now as the first-class citizen. And what they mean by that is that that's where they go and look first. And if they can't find an answer there or a, a solution, solution there, no. they will then go, they look at the proprietary. But the important thing, I think, when it comes to open source, and this has always been Red Hat's message, is 
there's a difference between open source and open source with a vendor like Reddit. Because well, I think that was always your major thing. You you spoke uh, in enterprise. You understood yes, their concerns. Exactly. You knew what boxes needed to be ticked we in order to to compete in that in that market, which is. You know, that's, that's a big thing, because if I'm a CIO and my uh, reputation and my business is on the line, I'm not going to engage with anything that doesn't follow that very rigid structure. But think about it. We, we, our solutions are uh, the foundation for many airlines, for companies like uh, Amadeus, which is the, this... Hopefully you know, not BA. Uh, no. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, actually, IAG Group, uh, yeah. they have a lot of sure. technology. And, uh, but Amadeus, you know, basically in the yeah. world you have two ticketing Correct. companies, Amadeus and Sabre. Correct. Amadeus, and they basically own half of the, the ticketing business. Amadeus have adopted a lot of our technology for now several years. They were one of the first adopters of OpenShift. Then they, adopt, they had a migration from their middleware solution to JBoss, they have Linux of course. And their system has to answer tens of thousands yeah. of requests per second. Yeah, it's insane. Can imagine from across the world. And it, all and it the time. runs on, on OpenShift. Wow. So uh, you could say roughly roughly speaking uh, I would say fifty percent of the stock exchanges worldwide run on our, uh, on our system. So if you are a CIO, and, and you have, you, we have several uh, financial institutions doing this interbank, you know, uh, uh, move, managing the movements between, between the banks. All of this needs security, high agility, high availability. When we come to a CIO and say, well, these are the people you can call, and ask them how it works. But getting into these original people took an understanding of the environment which you guys obviously had at the time. Yes, yes, yes. We have that and... Because you're in the beginning of the Red Hat advance, if you want to call it that, the big guys, the IBMs, the Oracles, all these proprietary solutions were playing very strongly in that space. And of course they would have created uh, as much bit of doubt. fear and doubt as they could. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it's, of of it's course, of course, but they, they, were, they were in a defense mode. Yes. And this is not... Do you think they missed, the, they missed the way technology was developing in some ways? No, 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 I don't think so. For instance, IBM... No, now uh, they uh, caught uh, on fast. ...have been contributing a lot to open source. No, I think that this is... I think that what... what these companies were facing this is the, the classic situation when you have a business model and you have if you want to survive to adopt in the same time another business model it's like if you look at the companies for instance which were selling uh, licenses for many years and at the point in time had to decide to go to a subscription based model this is very complicated because while you are adopting the new model you have to kill the other one and, and it's, it's a difficult and accountants exercise. hate changing yeah. cash flow models trust yeah. me I am one no, no. <laughs> so it, it is a very com complex business case so no no I think they they were clever they understood uh, I, I, I would value all of our competitors but that, that was a fundamental business model change 
some of them have been successful. Some yeah, of others, yeah, have they've struggled, and have struggled, and, struggled and some have gone away because of it. Gone away. Yeah. Big, big time. We, I think, I, I think that the founders of, uh, of Red Hat and, and the successors of the founders have had several good ideas, but they, they had two very good ideas. One was to go open source and to make it available for the enterprises. The second one was to go on a subscription model. From the day, from, uh, from, from day the one, beginning. From day one, which, if you think about, and this is why I, I, I enjoy so much uh, working for Red Hat. If people are asking me, why do you work for Red Hat? My answer is that I think that for the seven years I've been with the company, and, and in particular nowadays, I see a perfect sync between how the society in general, the people, consume the new technology. Uh, I mean, your, your kids, I, I'm sure, they do not buy any more DVDs, CDs. They just download, consume what they need, and then... Move Forget on. about it. Yeah. Forget about the assets, I would say. They, 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 mm. they, they, they're subsequently, they, they subscribe to something, which is what they need. And we are exactly there. So I see a match between, and these young people, now they are in the IT departments of the enterprises. And they, they think that way. And, the, and the, way, the way they consume IT is the same thing. We see, I see more and more people, I meet with them, I discuss with them, they say, well, I don't want to have my own server, my own storage for the sake of it. I, I have a project. For this project, I need these pieces of hardware, these frameworks, these software. I will deliver my project. And then why would I need to have another server, another hardware? This is, this is a totally different. You don't want all of this on the asset registry. Right? Why would you want such a fat asset registry? And even software goes onto your asset registry. You write it off over time. Mm. Uh, you know, traditional software. Well, it's that the classical OPEX versus CAPEX. Exactly. And that's how they work. Yeah. So, so, so when, so I have to say that our, our leaders, I mean, have had these, these uh, amongst other good ideas about the products, the technology, but, you know, starting with open source and subscriptions for the enterprise made it, I mean, we, we, we started really on the right foot and, and, and I think... And the industry came to you rather than the other way around. You well, didn't have to change your model. Yeah. They look more and some, more worked your way. Look at some big players who were for quite some time saying, well, no, this is... Uh, and rather a lot of people in. Player, yeah. And now they are all coming to us. I mean, not to us, by the way. It's, that would be too... They are coming to open source. They, they just recognize that innovation is happening at such a a fast pace that they have to be in uh, this in the race. model in this race and not in parallel or uh, it's becoming harder and harder for single companies to drive innovation at the pace at which open source yeah I think again we come back to the whole story of no company can have everything mm. and there are too many moving parts even in a small operation you know a small bank a small insurance company there's so many elements that are involved there. How can any one company supply all those solutions yeah. and do it well yeah. and effectively at all times? It yeah. becomes, and that, again, back to the whole story, we, we, we're living in an interconnected world on every level. And the technology interconnections are getting faster and get wider and broader. But in essence, the way that we consume and use and work and operate and how we expect our tech to behave 
has changed fundamentally. You know, if you look at banking, uh, the reality, as much as all of our banks may disagree about, how, you know, that they're actually so super duper unique, eighty percent of what they're doing is the same. That's totally the differentiation common. is the, in the top end. And so, when you look at technology, why would you spend all your money on creating a unique version of that eighty percent? You know. Doesn't make why sense. Would you not, why would you not collaborate? Did you see what's happened in Europe now? They've just they're busy working on an open banking system. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> which is going to throw the whole. Isn't that No, no. It's a, it's actual legislation that all banks have to be open. Oh. And, and guess what? We have decided to. They're not telling them how. They're just saying the closed model is gone. You must all interoperate, and you must. That's it. So we we, we have decided uh, to to focus like we did on, on the telco mm. business vertical. We are now also focusing on the uh, FSI, so financial institutions business vertical. Firefm Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose. Stephen Ambrose. Well, welcome back. And apologies that I cut that interview just in the middle of nowhere, but it was actually not meant to be an interview. It's just such a fascinating conversation. And it just shows you what goes so much, so much goes on behind the scenes to make a simple thing like booking an airline ticket work or trading a stock. And there are massive companies with smart ideas who do and make that possible for all of us. Anyway, moving on because I can see our time is ticking away. I was handed a very interesting new phone last week, launched in South Africa by LG, the new V40 Think. Now, the V the V series has always been their high-end flagship phones to compete with the the Samsung Galaxy Note 9s, with the Apple iPhone XS, etc., etc. And they've launched it a little late. It launched in um, in in America in October last year. And they finally launched it in South Africa. I've been using from the V2 to, to the, the V20 to the V30 and now the V40 for a couple of years now. And I will say right up front, this is probably the best value phone on the market right now. I don't know how they've done it, but they've launched it in South Africa at 12,500 Rand for a phone that competes with other phones that are selling in the 18, 19, 20,000 Rand range. So, you essentially got a very similar spec phone in some ways to the Galaxy Note 9. Not to knock the Note 9, it's a spectacular device, and it has the S Pen, which sets it apart. So if you need a, a stylus, then there is no competition. But if you need a really good quality, high-end, fast, using the latest Qualcomm processor with a massive 6.4-inch OLED screen with five cameras, not Two, three, four, five cameras, three on the rear, two on the front, um, and it has, like every other phone today, a little notch, which you can love or hate, but LG are quite slick. They allow you to hide the notch if you want, and then you have a very standard-looking phone. But that's essentially irrelevant. They, the, the way the notch works is very simple, keeps your notifications on either side, and you, you forget it very quickly. But the OLED screen is amazingly high quality. And the one thing that I really love about the LG devices, and I think they're a bit underrated, they seem to be a little bit too quiet in the market. The build quality, aluminum frame, Gorilla Glass 5, back and front, neither case because it gets a bit slippery, and uh, is that 
somehow LG managed to put this all together and make their phones unbelievably easy to handle and super light. I don't know how they do it. Every other phone that I've got in that sort of range is quite heavy, very substantial feeling, which is nice. But this is so easy to handle with a massive screen and it's super light um, with a good battery life. That's probably the one thing I found is a little bit lacking compared to the Note 9 and the the XS, maybe an hour or two less battery life in a day, but easily gets you through a day of solid use. And the cameras, I must say, are outstanding. Considering the competition in, in smartphone cameras right now between the Huawei's and the Note 9's and the XS from um, from Apple, and I know how that sounds, but it is in some respects, the new camera setup on the V40, it has two things that set it apart from pretty much any phone. The camera setup, two front selfie cameras, three rear cameras. It's got a 16 megapixel wide angle, a 12 megapixel standard camera, and another 12 megapixel telephoto camera. And it's got some really slick camera modes where you can take a picture with every single camera separately, or you can let the software, the Think AI software, do all the thinking for you and stitch it all together. It's got really clever video modes. So if if sort of smartphone photography and creativity is your thing, this phone does an exceptional job. The camera quality is right up there. Some cases I found was a little bit whiter, a little bit clearer than the top-end competition. But certainly the camera is nothing to be ashamed of. It's as good as, in most respects, as the top-end cameras in the in the market. The interface is standard Google, <clears throat> very clean. <clears throat> so, excuse me. Very clean, very easy to use, not confusing at all. Android has its detractors, but I generally find this phone extremely easy to use, very smooth, very fast, slick, lots of memory. It comes in South Africa with 128 gig of of storage and 6 gig of RAM, which is more than enough to keep Android running quite smoothly. It's still running the older Android 8.1, but I'm sure they'll come out with an Android 9 update in the nearest future. It also has one further absolutely standout feature, and this is something that no other phone on the market even comes close. It's got a quad deck audio subsystem, which is tweaked and tuned using some of the latest digital-to-analog converting technology, along with a headphone jack for you, those of you who still use headphones with wires. And I must say, the sonic quality of this phone is leagues ahead of any other mobile phone on the market. The only thing that really comes close are separate decks that you can plug into your phone or into your computer or your hi-fi. So sound-wise, there is just absolutely nothing to touch it. So we'll be back with a quick roundup. Um, I've just been waved at. We have a quick ad break. But straight off the ad break, I've got an app that I think will make a lot of people's lives easier and a quick wrap-up on the LG V40 Think smartphone. Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose, 11 to 12 p.m., only on 101.9 IFM. Well, welcome back, and um, back to my gadget of the week, which is the LG V40 Think smartphone. It's available from Vodacom for the moment. They've got an exclusivity for a while. And again, the packages reflect the amazing price. In in the US and in Europe, this phone sells for the same as a Galaxy Note 9. It's in the $1,000 range, so it's it's really substantially more expensive. So it's very well priced at twelve and a half grand, but you'll get it for around about five ninety nine on a decent package. So for the moment, you can only get it from Vodacom. Apparently, it's going to the other networks in the next couple of months. But just to sum up, 
It has an outstanding OLED screen. It's really well built. The cameras are as good as and in some ways more flexible than anything else from any of the other competition. The front selfie camera is brilliant. Because of the dual camera setup, it's sharp, it's clear, it's really high quality, it's water resistant. It has two standout features apart from the, well, another standout feature apart from the camera. It's got an outstanding audio subsystem. It, the built-in deck supports 7.1 audio surround via DTS, uh, all sorts of get, <laughs> terms and whatnot. But simple fact is you can plug it into your TV, you can plug it into your um, surround sound system, and it will really astound you with the quality of the sound. And even on Bluetooth headphones, I find the, set, the sound of this particular device is better than pretty much any phone on the market. So well-priced, extremely well-specced, all the latest specs, big Big screen, but easy to handle and super light. So if you're keen on a new smartphone, you're not keen on spending 18 to 22,000 rand on some of the competition. Here is an excellent alternative. How they got it to that price, I don't know, but well done to LG. They've got, I think they've got an absolute winner in the V40 Think. It's got AI photography. It's just a smart, smart smartphone. So if you're in the market, go and have a look. I think it's well-priced, and I think it's a superb device, especially for the money. Now, before I get waved out of the studio, um, Uber have released something that I think would make a lot of difference to a lot of people. I don't know about you, but occasionally on some of the phones that I've reviewed that are fairly low-spec, you load up the full Uber uh, app, it seems to take a long while for it to find you. It's slow. It's quite cumbersome. And obviously Uber realized that there's a huge market of people out there who just want to be able to use their service quickly, easily. So what they've announced, and it's available in South Africa right now, is an Uber Light app. Simply put, in all respects, it's light except functionality. The download is less than five megabytes. So if you've got a, a slightly more budget phone, which has got limited memory. It'll work. Five meg is pretty much nothing. The interface is clean. I've tried it. It's simple. It's also very, very quick. I don't know how they've done it. Even by removing all this extra code and all this nonsense, it might actually become my default Uber app. Less than a blink of an eye, it pops up um, response on booking and whatever. It also uses all the standard sort of GPS stuff. It locates you. You can move the location around. You can pick another location should you wish. So it guides you to the pickup. And you can tap over type. So instead of typing where you are, you can choose a nearby point of interest. And um, it'll all it'll all pop up and very, very easy. Also, the maps are only on demand. So they're not loaded by default. It keeps it clean, keeps it simple. But if you want to know where you are and you want to know the map, you can just tap it and it'll pop down. So all the core functionality of the for the rider and for the uh, the the user is there. It has in-app support, critical safety features, emergency button that connects riders to a third-party supplier that provides emergency services and security response. So, and you can share your trip with friends and family. So. Uber Lite, <laughs> which is quite an interesting concept, is now available. You can download it on any phone. I've tried it in some really memory-constrained simple phones, and it works like an absolute bomb. And on that note, I'm being told it's time to end my gadgets and gizmos for the week. Until next week, same place, same time, tune in and hear all the latest in the tech world right here on High FM with Stephen Ambrose for Tech.